you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I'm stoked today because I have an opportunity to share some time with Hannah Moyer. She is the head of paid media for Blue Light Media. Oh, paid media? Blue yeah, Light Media. It's a little repetitive. It's so <laughs> fancy. Um, but that's not what we're going to talk about. And yes. I, I think that's pretty exciting. Um, so as many of you know, I am passionate uh, about healthcare. I spend a lot of time in that space. I have a business in the non-traditional side of protecting individuals and families uh, and small employers as it relates to healthcare. And so I've had an opportunity to know Hannah now for a little while. And I reached out to her, asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast. And you threw a word at me. I did. What was that? It's called healing diet orthorexia. Say that again. Ortho what? Orthorexia. Orthorexia. (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited for this. Definitely. Um, so uh, before we get there, I think that uh, there's a couple of other things that stand out to me uh, as uh, I've gotten to know you. I feel like social like media. Insta friends. I know, exactly. right? Like that just does like so many wonders to me. So like we're like so close. Um, so uh, as I've been following you, I know that you have a podcast. I do. Right. Yes. And it's all about coffee. No, it's, it's just about, about creativity, but also <laughs> coffee because I'm a very caffeinated creative. <laughs> I really did know that. I just thought that was funny. Um, okay, so you got a podcast, so you're spending some time there. Yeah. Um, and then you are also very creative and I artsy. Am. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and yet you're not from here either. So no. there's a dynamic to that in your life. Definitely. And so uh, maybe one of the first questions I want to ask you, and this is just a little bit off track, but you come from, I was, I was going to say you were born in, but now I know that this isn't where you're born, <laughs> but you come from one of the best cities in the entire world. Yes. Like Nashville, Tennessee, when you combine country music with whiskey, uh, <laughs> there is just nothing better. And then amazing food. The people are so oh kind. Gosh, yes. Why did you come to Southern California? Oh my gosh. I thought I was going to be in Nashville for like 10 years. And then I had a business there. It ended. It kind of blew up. It was a good lesson. Um, and then I met Mick on Twitter, which is a mutual friend of ours. It's my, he won't let me use the word boss. So he is one of the partners of Blue Light Media. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had connected on Twitter a couple years prior. And it was just one of those moments of like, I feel like God is leading me to California. And it was tough. Nashville is still my favorite city. I call it my, it's kind of like I moved after college. So it's where I became an adult is kind of how I phrase it. Like I did a lot of living there in the, in that two and a half years. And then I've been here two and a half years. So yeah, it's been, it's been wild. Okay. So, um, I know now how strong your faith in Jesus is because it took God calling you here <laughs> to get you to, to get me away from Nashville. Yes. <laughs> now, now, it wasn't even the beaches. It wasn't the weather. It wasn't anything. It was like, it was oh, the Lord's like, call on your life. That yes. is really good. Okay. So, so, so you, uh, so you come to California and it's all brand new for you. How long have you been here? Only a couple of years, right? Two and a half years. Two yeah. It was two years, years in May. Okay. Yeah. And so what's that like? I mean, I, you come to a job, so that's pretty cool. Um, I know Mikhail, he's a great guy. So I'm sure that was fun, but he runs his own life and gig and girlfriend now fiance. And so you don't know anybody like what the heck 
What were you doing? I mean, I had done it before because I'd moved to Nashville after college. So I was used to it. But at the same time, it took me, I would say like it took me basically six months of the day in Nashville to kind of find my community. And it's not that way in Southern California. There (laughs) definitely is a culture shift. Um, I mean, it's even, I've been here two and a half years and it's still sometimes feels like it's not quite home in a way. Um, But there's definitely a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of beneficial things to being out here. And it was just one of those things of found a church. I'm no longer at that one, but it's just like, that's a really good way for me to find community. Yeah. Um, just find someone like that feel similar faith system. And then I met some of mixed friends and some of the other people at blue light. Um, and then I have like, I call her my Portola friend. So I go to Portola on Thursday morning, yes. it's like a little self-care Thursday. And then I met someone there. We're good friends now. So it's just kind of through different things. You eventually, you find your people and it just, it took a little bit longer in Southern California, but um, I mean, it's definitely like I'm here for a reason and it's been good. It hasn't always been easy, but yeah. my parents come out and visit. I go home and visit once or twice a year and you make it work. Yeah. Gosh, I, we've had some conversation, my wife and I, uh, about the possibility of moving out of state at some point. And as much as I just want to ravage California for all of the joy that it is <laughs> uh, on business owners, on people many times, um, there are still so many great things here. Yeah. And and so the fear of leaving, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, I know that we'll move there. We'll find a church. We'll find a community of people. I, I, lo- I love that you said that. I mean, it's not that it necessarily has to be that, but it can be such a great way to get connected. Exactly, yeah. So, like, I know all that, but it's like, holy smokes. Like, I'm going to leave. And I've been here 41 years, like my whole life. And so the thought of leaving is wild. Yeah. I never thought I was going to be that person that moved around all the time but I went to college out of state I am like that one grandkid of the family that is more than a state away um (laughs) so yeah it's definitely nothing that I expected but I think that's kind of the beauty in it of you just kind of go with it I've I have some basic like five ten year ideas of what I want to do with my life but I've learned a lot about making plans and then it's not actually going to happen and you just kind of have to roll with the punches and it sounds kind of much more chill than I am. I'm a bit of a control freak. I'm learning. Really? Um, Oh yeah, I am. Um, but I mean, it's one of those things of like, as a believer, like you, your life is not necessarily your own. And so you just kind of have to follow where you feel like God is leading you. Um, whatever your individual thoughts are on that. But yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, also there's some problems with California of taxes <laughs> and like Tennessee is no state income tax. So yeah, that was a change yeah. coming and people here. and people. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's funny when you were saying that I um, earlier talking about like, you know, just kind of trusting going out. And, and I thought like, you know, the Bible talks about like um, uh, man plans is, you know, his, his way and the Lord directs mm-hmm. his steps. Right. Uh, man sets plans, the Lord directs steps. Anyway, um, as a pastor, I'm terrible about memorizing anything, <laughs> Bible included. Um, but here's the funny thing to me is like when it gets real and practical, as much as we know that's that, people don't that's do really freaking hard, yeah, right? Like totally. it's, it's easy to say those things and you're like, I know God's in this and I'm confident that, you know, if I follow him and listen, and then there's those like moments where you're like, oh crap, like, did I really hear? Is this really true? Am I, you know, like, and sometimes it's not an actual voice. I think people kind of like overreact, but for me personally, it's always been kind of just like this gut feeling that won't leave. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely, yeah, it's kind of just have to go for it. I'm all about fighting through fear and embracing it and working through it. Okay. So where did that come from? Oh my gosh. Um, man, I don't really know. That's a very good question. I think in part 
definitely from all of my chronic illness challenges and learning to go through that. I'm being a bad podcaster and not talking right in the mic. I apologize. You're so Um, good. (laughs) So I think a lot of that of just like, there's a lot of fear in the unknown. Um, and I inherently like to work within the known and I like to figure things out. But when everything is taken from you, you're like, okay, well I just got to figure it out. And then you just do. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it. Of like the cycles of having an idea and then, um, moving into the, like, and then starting it that gets shorter the more you do it. Like it took me a year to start the podcast because I was just, maybe not quite a year, but like six months to start the podcast just because I was like, oh, I don't really know, blah, 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 blah. Like imposter syndrome, all of that. Um, And then the next idea that took less time and the next idea that took less time. So it's just, the more you do it, the more you get used to it Mm. and you just kind of expand your comfort zone and start to work through it. Okay, so uh, earlier you said gut, so it triggered my mind. And then you just (laughs) said chronic illness. Um, and so I know that's played a huge role and, and it's obviously something that, uh, that we're going to talk about. So, um, I have again, observed to some degree that you deal with significant challenge, right. As mm-hmm. it relates to, you know, illness and food sensitivity and other things. And so maybe first, so when did that start? Like, when did you start noticing that there were some sort of issues there? Like, I actually hate to say that word, but like, when did you start noticing that happening? Yeah, definitely. It's the more that I start to think about and tell my story, the more like it goes back to when I was 13. And um, I, and again, if you think about the internet at that time, there was no reliable information online. So I was put on long-term antibiotic use for acne, which it was severe acne, but it was still long-term antibiotic use. Really? You did? Oh yeah. Very. Oh man. And so, I mean, I was on that, like I looked at my medical records when I was in Nashville. Um, I like paid like $50 for them to mail them to me because they wouldn't release them otherwise. Um, but it was, I think it was four solid years wow. of antibiotic use, which now there's data that shows if you're even on it for like six to eight weeks, it disrupts the Was that tetracycline? Um, monocycline, tetracycline. Yeah. And I think there was one that started with a D, yeah. but I can't totally remember. I too was a bad acne haver. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and I remember that. that yeah. uh, it was brutal. It did a lot of bad things to you. Yeah. So I was on that. And then, I mean, they of course tried topical. They tried everything. And so I was like 13, 14. And then um, when I was 15, we did Accutane which is now linked to many class action lawsuits about yes. IBS and Crohn's and colitis and everything. Um, thankfully my, I'm not that bad. Um, mm. but I, okay. So that was 15, 16. And then I was 18. It was a summer after freshman year of college. I started having a dairy sensitivity. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm lactose intolerant. Like that's fine. If that's like the worst thing. Ha ha ha. Little would I know. <laughs> um, so then let's see, it was, my it was the summer after sophomore year I developed a really severe gluten sensitivity I went through all of the testing for celiacs aside from the endoscopy because I was like if for me personally I didn't want to go through with an invasive procedure if stop if not eating gluten solved the problem yeah um so then I was a couple years with that and then my last semester I graduated semester early so the fall semester of college I was very stressed I was working two jobs I was finishing up classes being my typical overachiever self, I put myself into like this adrenal spiral where my cortisol just like, once I finally moved to Nashville, looking for jobs, freelancing, like I had a chance to actually rest. Mm. And that's when it all kind of went haywire. So long story short, I ended up having to go paleo. I'm um, just kind of like gradually like t- kept taking out more and more foods until I kind of landed on paleo. And so that was January of 2015 was when that all started. So okay. paleo since then. Wow. 
Yeah. So at this point, like, yeah, every once in a while I crave like a New York style bagel or New York pizza. But honestly, like I know how much better I feel when I eat the foods that agree with me. Yeah. Um, and therefore it's a lot more motivating to yeah. stick with it when you know I'm going to be doubled over in the fetal position <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if yeah. I eat something. So you are really restrictive now in terms of what you can and cannot eat. Mm-hmm. And, and how much of that has been, I know there's a lot more to it than this, but how much of that has been like through the process of self-diagnosis, kind of testing your own way, and how much of that has been by the guidance of uh, some uh, some outside resource, whether yes. it would be a you know traditional medicine, Western or Eastern medicine, like so. How how has that gone? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I <laughs> so there's data now that shows that a severe vitamin D deficiency is a precursor to autoimmunity. And so I was diagnosed with a very severe vitamin D deficiency in my junior year of college. The doctor didn't look any deeper. My dad had just been diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And so I said, I have all of the symptoms of hypothyroidism. Apparently, like all my data was normal except for this vitamin D deficiency. So come like over time then, when I moved to Nashville, I went to just primary care doctor. My TSH was off the charts, horrible. It was, and then I finally pushed to get my antibodies tested. So that was Hashimoto's. And so I did all of that through primary care, like conventional medicine that way. Um, but I also was researching a lot. I mean, Chris Kresser, he's incredible. All of the data that oh, he puts out. he is dope. Love Chris Kresser. He is. Yes. So, I mean, just researching a lot of his um, information and a lot of other incredible people in the space as well. But, um, I knew that I knew very quickly that if I wanted to have any change, I was just going to have to do it myself. Yeah. And I was also on a small budget, so I hmm. couldn't do a lot of out of pocket testing for like food sensitivities. Um, so because I've actually, Viome wasn't around and you couldn't do the $199 exactly. gut and then test. also get the FBI on your doorstep. Was it Viome or was that someone else? No, that was the other one. That I was can't the remember other one. Was. I'm yeah. so sorry, Viome. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Send your sponsorships this way. We're exactly, still good yeah. with you. <laughs> so, so yeah. So a lot of the food, I've never done a food sensitivity test. In some ways, I don't necessarily know how accurate they are. Yeah. I do it by how I feel. Yeah. Um, but then if it's hormone, I've done saliva tests. I've done the Dutch test, which is dried urine for comprehensive hormones. Um, and so that is one of the most incredible. Wait like, a minute. Yes. There is, that's an acronym? Dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. Yes. Stop it. Yes. I thought that it just related to like something that they named it. I had no idea. I didn't know uh, until I was researching it. Uh, was like on the website it says it. Dried um, urine. Okay. Yeah. It's, right. it's super fun test to do, but it gave me a lot of good information. I'll bet. And so I've done that. I've done so many thyroid panels. Um, I've done a lot of blood work for various things. And so it's definitely a combination. I work with a functional medicine practitioner. He's incredible. He um, he's is very, he local to you. He is local. Okay. He's Lake Forest. If anyone's interested, I can give you his info. Um, yeah, who is but that? It's Dr. Nick Deliberato. Okay. So he's functional medicine practitioner. He is very good at kind of empowering the patient to make the decisions. He'll yep. help guide you to the right tests. I do a lot of stuff out of pocket just because that's how the best way that I've found to do it. Yeah. And he has some great resources to get tests a little bit cheaper. Um, and then I go to conventional just basically for my thyroid prescription. Yeah. And that's basically it. Um, so I definitely combine the both. I think conventional medicine is incredible for acute care, emergencies. Like, yes, if I need my appendix taken out, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not good at treating chronic illness. They're not good yeah. at do 
like nipping something in the bud quickly enough. Yeah. And so that's kind of that balance that I've found that I've come to. Yeah. So there were so many things that you said that I'm going to yeah, try kind of and, on a very long, no, it's great. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to recall. Um, so I, I, I think that, um, so at the tail end right there, you said, so, you know, traditional medicine is great for acute care. So I think what we're going to end up seeing moving into the future is, is it's actually not even that good there because I think what's happening is, is we're playing this game of like catch up, uh, yes. being, uh, like uh, outdatedness. I don't even know if that's a word, but like right now, primary care is being exposed to the fact that, I mean, it's been for a long time, but it is a broken system, right? We are on yeah. a turnstile in the doctor's office. The insurance you are, providers make the decisions. Yeah. Yes. You're lucky if you get to see your doctor for seven minutes. All he is doing is trying to rotate patients to keep up with the quota because his provider is paying him based upon the number of people he sees, not on what he treats. Everybody gets a prescription because that's the way everybody's incentivized. Um, so that's been broken for a while, right? And, and it, it's now like just being exposed everywhere. Um, I think that um, at least traditional acute care is going to be right behind that. Because I think what we're, again, like they are still susceptible to the same system, which is I only get paid to work on you mm-hmm. if I'm in that system, right? Yeah. I actually don't get paid to fix you. Which, yes, those can be one and the same things, but they're not always. And so if I, if I can extend the issue, if I can um, find something else, like, I, I, which is, you know, when you were talking about testing, it, it made me think of too, like, I mean, how many times were you going for tests from your primary doctor just because? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I think the better that we can, we as a people, because I think that you have to take your health into your own hands, again, being respectful of doctors and their education, but I'm like, you're not going to go in there and be a jerk, but, um, the more that we can take it into our own hands and, um, I just lost my train of thought, but I agree with you. Um, for the most part. Okay. Wait, so, so, so there, so I, I, because of where you were going, hopefully this is the direction you were going in. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about taking it into your own hands in terms of oh, chronic illness. Yes. Or, sorry. Yes. So being able to treat it sooner. So like letting, not letting prediabetes become diabetes yes. of putting the work in of some like type two, that's genetic, but right. if it's whatever else or type one, type one, sorry, is, yeah. type one. Um, but like doing those things of like hypertension, high blood pressure, all of those things so that you don't have to get to the, um, to the primary care physician who then has enough time, granted insurance providers are still controlling things, right? but getting to that point where we are going for only true emergencies and true issues where like we may actually need, like sometimes you do need antibiotics and things like that. Yep. So I think when people go too far one way or the other, yeah. and it's like, okay, no, it doesn't like we need to be realistic, but I agree with you. It's just like the, the mouse wheel of it all. Well, and we have been conditioned uh, in the last, 10 to 15 years to not go to the doctors, right? Like you go get your annual checkup because that's just what grandma and grandpa did. And it's kind of been passed down from there. But other than that, you don't go to the doctor unless you really need to. Everyone's afraid to go to urgent care because it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. It takes months to see your primary care physician anyway. And so, and now it's so expensive because I've got a ridiculous insurance premium plus my copay. I probably got a deductible. I'm so afraid to go, so I just don't go. Mm-hmm. And so the issue becomes so severe before anybody sees a doctor exactly. that that just makes it that much worse. Yes. Right. Um, okay. So 
you said something in there about uh, around this idea. You didn't say this word, but around consumerism. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have a friend, uh, Dr. Josh Luke. He's written books uh, in the healthcare world. And so he talks about becoming an engaged healthcare consumer. So how did this, when you started having to kind of go your own way, uh, how did you learn how to, this is going to sound really weird to people, but how did, how did you learn to buy your own healthcare? No, that's a, oh my gosh, that's such a good question. So the first time I kind of stood up to my, that first primary care or second primary care doctor who actually diagnosed me with hypothyroidism, she didn't want to give me the antibody test because in her words, it wouldn't change the treatment. But from the research that I had seen, from the valuable, like from the valid um, research driven data that I had, or data driven research rather that I had seen, I knew that it would change my lifestyle and I was willing to make those changes. So I like, I was like, well, does insurance cover it? And she said, yes. And I said, then I would like the test. Thank you. And so you have to push it a little bit. Um, and that's also why I pay for so much out of pocket. I'm on one medication. I'm on a thyroid prescription, um, but I'm also on a lot of supplements that I have personally, like I've researched it. I've taken my um, practitioner's research and insights and knowledge and experience into consideration, and then I try it. If it helps, I stay on it. Every once in a while, I cycle off of it to see if it's truly helping. Mm. So it's one of those things of like, when, some, when a doctor sees how many supplements I'm on, which is not as much now as it used to be, but they just kind of roll their eyes and like, yeah. you're paying to pee it out. I was like, well, yes, some people are like that, but I've put in the time and effort and it's honestly like you just have to want it. Like, yeah, I don't love spending my Friday night researching medical things, but sometimes like if you want to feel better and you're motivated, then you're going to want to do that. Yeah. And so you just have to do a lot of your own research. You have to be respectful. You have to really know it um, and be willing to engage in that conversation. And a lot of times providers, again, they don't have much time in the room. Yep. Um, and so that's when I started seeking out functional medicine because that's the, that's the care where I really started to find healing. Um, and so that's just kind of what I've what I've ended up moving towards. And your insurance doesn't cover that at all. No. So yeah. that's out of pocket. Yeah. And so, um, what was the straw that broke the camel's back there? Like, why did you finally just say, you know what? Like I've got to go to a different doctor and I'm willing to spend the money. Like, was it something really, really bad? Um, I think it was really just that conversation about antibodies. Uh, they gave it. Um, so your antibody for, um, for Hashimoto's, the range is zero to four, zero to six. It depends on what lab you use. When I was diagnosed, mine was at two, 200 something. Wait, is, what? Yes. So then it went down to a hundred ish. Now it's actually up. It's in the three hundreds now. So that means that my body's attacking itself and it's creating a lot of inflammation and the, the more like the sugar and the grains and the everything like that creates more inflammation. Mm -hmm. So the whole goal is to reduce that. And so for me, I knew that she wouldn't really support that. Although it was very interesting over the course of the next year, she actually ended up asking me questions about diet. And she was like, <laughs> oh, I'm doing this. And I was like, okay, this is great, but you have like 10 minutes with me and I'm yeah. kind of halfway paying for this. So it'd be nice to like yeah. to get the right information. Um, but yeah, honestly, it was just, it was realizing that she was never going to help me in the way that I wanted it. Yeah. And no fault to her necessarily, because she was just a part of, the medical establishment and she in yep. a way was starting to try to do the right things. Yep. Um, but it just, it got to the point where I was like, okay, like I'm tired of feeling sick. I've done enough research to know that this is the next thing that I need to try. There's been enough data that shows that it helps. And therefore like that's, it's what I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a good moment for another PSA. Like I, I, I believe in my heart that the majority of the doctors out there are trying to do the right thing. Yes. And some of them, unfortunately, are driven to do the wrong thing by their employer, and they can't just walk away from a job. Some of them, 
they've been educated to practice medicine that way and they don't know anything else. And clearly, I mean, you definitely a lot more than I do, but I don't think we would ever stare a doctor in the face and say, we know more than you do as it relates to medicine. I mean, like, again, maybe you would with your specific conditions, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody would say that. I I think that it's just, we, we need to come to this place of understanding that we need to do something different. Um, the quote's been attributed to so many different people, but um, for the longest time, it stuck with me, and it was the pain of change. Uh, the pain of staying the same had to become greater than the pain of change. Uh, yes, that's right? a good one. And, yeah. um, and, and for somebody like yourself, it was, I'm literally dying, right? And and if you don't die, at the, at the best, your quality of life is going to be very, very low. Um, for others, we're starting to see, I just saw a report today that, um, or yesterday, that the cost of health care before somebody steps into a doctor for a family of four is $20,000 a year. It's insane. A year. And, and that's every year. That's literally like buying a brand new Honda Civic. And turning it in at the end of every year, getting nothing in return and paying another 20000 to start all over again, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like absurd to me. So hopefully the pain is becoming great for a lot of people in a lot of other areas. Um, okay. So as I hear you saying all of this, some of the things that immediately come to my mind are people had to call you crazy along the way. Yeah. I think there's definitely – it's interesting. I have had – a lot of conversations with people who kind of don't necessarily take it seriously. And that's kind of when I try to put out of there, like in I'm a marketer. So in marketing terms, like I AB test my supplements. Like I, <laughs> I see if they're working or not. <laughs> um, and so there's definitely was some of that. I used to do something called nutrition response testing. Um, it's probably easier if you just Google it to then my description of it. But basically it's based on the concept that your body's energy goes to where it's weakest. Hmm. So if, for example, if my practitioner or the practitioner I was going to at that point, if she pressed on my thyroid or like put her hand on my thyroid and then was pressing against my hand, my hand would involuntarily move, like would drop. Wow. Um, And so that was when I started getting into a lot of the supplements. And I think they did definitely help. um, But that's kind of what, and then after like a, a year or two of that, I ended up moving away from that and trying other things. So it's like, I definitely, I get it. Like, it sounds a little crazy. Yeah. Um, but for me at that point, even if it was placebo effect, like I was so sick that I was willing to try anything. Yeah. And I've talked with so many people who, who are in either similar or even worse situations where they're tr- willing to try something. Like they're willing to get a fecal transplant because that's like the data is starting to show that it's helpful. They're desperate. They're doing whatever they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely... Yeah, like I'm I'm up for looking a little crazy if it means that I'm going to feel better personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, rewind not too many years. And when people were out there selling um, uh, your whole daily supply of fruits and vegetables in a pill, and it was like, oh yes. quack pot. And then, you know, the other person was like, oh, you have a rash? Just rub oil on it, right? Like, it's like crazy, right? Like, that, that, that's where yeah. we were so many years ago. Exactly. Some of that's still kind and of crazy. still happening today. <laughs> so but, but I think that, like, the whole idea of Western versus Eastern or traditional yeah. versus non-traditional medicine, 
the, the, the non-traditional is gaining so much steam in society, which I think because of guys like Chris Kresser that are speaking out so much in favor of this holistic approach to health. Another guy, um, uh, Michael Ruscio, I think is his name. He wrote a book called Healthy Gut, Healthy You. Yes, yeah. I read that. I was totally blown away. Like, uh, For me, in the last two years, I have taken, and I'm still not great about it. Like, I don't have any food and sensitivity per se. I started to feel like I had though, um, uh, dairy intolerance or, uh, lack uh, being most people intolerant. do at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was like, Oh, pizza's bothering me. You know, ice cream is bothering me. No more milk, drink almond milk. And so I was cutting down on all that stuff. We're not eating it. And, um, and then I came around to, uh, or it came around, uh, when biome came out about, a year ago now, or started getting popular, uh, which is a basically mail order, you know, gut microbiome test. And so I did it. And I'm like, oh, I got to check this out. I got to see, like, do I really have uh, an, yeah. a, a, an intolerance to dairy? I did it and nothing. So interesting. It was crazy. And so, but what that did for me, and I think what was so cool was, is it made me realize that there's something else that's causing it. Yes. And so, I could have just continued to go down this path of cutting all of, you know, uh, uh, dairy out of my system, which n it's not that those things are great for me anyway, um, but I would have still had a problem and it would have been causing some other sort of disruption that may have gone unnoticed or I may have just dealt with as like I just ate something bad. And so I love the fact that we're starting to move in this direction and things are starting to become easier to access too, right? Mm -hmm. Like testing Definitely. and things like that. Yeah. And it's also, it's really interesting how some people they'll do like whole 30, but then make it whole 90 and then like try to add gluten back in and they feel sick. It's like you can give yourself an intolerance by not eating something for a while. And while I personally think that gluten is not necessarily the best, if you can eat it, eat it. You can eat whole grain bread. You can eat it limited yes. in limited amounts. But it's very interesting of like there is something to be said for the testing. And I think that's something that I should do at some point. But it's also one of those things of like there are so many little fires. So let's figure out what fire we can put out. Yes. So for right for that, I was doing the Dutch test and looking at all my hormone levels and everything and kind of doing it that way. And so the, the better that we can be about putting those tests into consumers' hands, as long as they're the consumers themselves are using it right, yes. I think is the big thing yep. of like, you're, you're being smart about how you're using the biome results. Some people might not be so smart about it. So it's, it's a catch 22. It's like, it's great. But then it's also like, yes, you should probably take these results to some kind of holistic practitioner yes. who knows how to read it. Um, and can help you find the right way to get through it. Yep. Yeah. One of the things I did was, is I went to my stepmom who made me eat peas my whole life growing <laughs> up and showed her that they said that I, that peas are not good for me because of what's All in a her. pea. I'm like, yes, I was right. I should have never ate a pea. You ate too many. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm all screwed up. It's done everything. Yeah. Everything bad I've ever done in my life was because of peas. Um, yeah. Okay, so you said something in there uh, that brought to mind this thought. So you said that you can give yourself an insensitivity. Yes. Or or a sensitivity to an issue. I was fascinated when I heard that. So I have wondered for the longest time why we have seen such an influx in peanut allergies. And I never knew why. And I guess I never thought to Google it. And then I recently started reading this book called Coddling the American Adult. Oh, I think, wait, who wrote that? 
Uh, I can't remember the guy's name right now. I He's the guy that got I... busted for the Atlantic article about Brown University and feminism. Oh, and it's okay. a whole nother train of thought. <laughs> but at the beginning, he starts off like basically he's he, his overall thesis is that we are creating a fragile society by removing all of these challenges, hurts, trauma, like all this from society. Yeah. And and he gives the example of the peanut allergy and through studies and I ended up doing some research and it seems to be valid in the points that he made was when I don't know in the mid 80s there was other allergies that kids were were showing signs of like every time a kid had a rash it was like oh it's an allergy and it's they, an allergy yeah. and so because it's an allergy all of the surrounding parents in the community started saying well you know what they can also have an allergy to peanuts and so since they're allergic to whatever they are you should not give them oh. peanuts either and so over a period of a generation, they all of a sudden started developing a sensitivity to peanuts. They did a blind test where they gave uh, half this, uh, 100 kids uh, peanuts at four to five months old and the other half of kids no peanuts for five years. And at five years old, they tested them. And the majority of kids that were given peanuts did not develop a peanut allergy. It was yeah. like less than 3%. For the kids that were not given peanuts for that five-year period of their life, I think it was five years, more than 30% of them developed a peanut allergy. It was crazy, and right? Yeah. And it's all about from maybe not necessarily allergy versus intolerance, but it's the same idea of like you want, like your body creates enzymes to be able to break down the proteins. And that's why like I don't have enough enzymes to break down the gluten proteins and it's harder to blah, 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 blah. Like all of this whole thing. So like... You can take the lactins for dairy. Like that's an enzyme that helps you digest that protein. Yep. Um, and so like the more that you don't eat it, then your body gets used to not eating it. Yep. And like the peanuts, it's like if you never eat them, then you never, you're never, never able to build up enough tolerance to be able to eat it. Yep. And um, it's also manufacturing practices. I firmly believe that that yeah. is part of it. Not all of it, but part of it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so sad to see this, so many people in this situation. And it's something that, I don't like we didn't realize for like a whole generation went by. Yep. And so it's like now we're trying to reverse that. Yep. Um, and I mean, for me personally, I'm OK with it. I miss the bagels and pizza every once in a while. Yeah. But for me, it's yeah. like it's giving me a higher quality of life. So I'll do it. Can you take a pill and then eat them? Um, I have been able you? to reintroduce rice. OK. Um, occasionally. And then like I'll eat too much of it because there's just really good non-dairy cheese that isn't still has oils in it that I don't really tolerate well, but I'll get rice pasta and I'll do that and I'll have mac and cheese and I'll eat it too much over the course of like two months and then I'll have to take it all out again. Two months? Yeah. Like every day you're just like mowing <laughs> down. Times a week. I'm like, this is so good. And then I have to take it out. So it's just kind of like how my body operates and it's just like with those. And I, there are some enzymes that help you digest gluten. Um, but for me, based on everything else that I've seen about just how it's manufactured and everything, it's like I personally just choose to avoid it. Yeah. Okay. So... We grew up in a generation. No, I did. I think you're like 15 years younger than I am. How old are you? 26. 26. You never ask a woman that. And I just did live. <laughs> <laughs> Not editing that out either. Um, I actually figure thought, it out. I thought you were a couple years did. younger. Yeah. Um, so um, I grew up in a generation. Uh, so I'm 41. And uh, we were like fast food all the time. My family couldn't afford, at least my mom, like we didn't eat fast food because we just couldn't afford it. But um, but it was all the time, right? The drive throughs were like on fire yeah. and, you know, rarely did anybody drink diet soda unless you were like old and crotchety or something. I don't know. Just like so. So we grew up in in bad eating practice around just like eating garbage. And 
And so that was terrible. And we've identified that as a significant problem in society. And we're still dealing with a lot of the results of that, right? Like obesity in America today, by, like there's so much of it that has to do yeah. with what we take into our bodies. But you sent me an article uh, and it, it really made, it, it supported something that I've been thinking about for a while, which is I feel like we're creating another generation of bad eating practice mm -hmm. by mandating Whole30, keto, um, paleo, um, carb free, which I, which I know some of those are too, but like don't eat carbs. Um, don't eat sugar is probably a pretty good one, you know, anyway. But so what do you think about all that? Because yeah. I mean, obviously you sent me that article and that was part of it as well. But like, I, I feel like we're creating like a, a dysfunctional society by chasing this quote unquote healthy lifestyle of eating that, could put us into a lot of trouble too. Definitely. And I think part of it is that everyone is so adamant that what works for them works for other people. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Like I describe myself as paleo because that's the best way to describe it. And that's, yeah. I've taken out the foods that have applied to me. I'm not going to recommend person A on the street, go eat paleo. They might do better without as much meat. They might do better at X, Y, Z. Um, and so I think the more people focus on what works well for them individually, the better off we'll be. But the more that we focus on those labels, um, I think that also creates a lot of disordered um, or disordered eating habits. And so within the paleo community, there's also AIP, it's autoimmune paleo. And so there's a lot of people who like some I highly respect, but they say like, oh, like you're not AIPing hard enough. And so that creates all the stress of like, Wait, I'm not. What is that? AIPing hard enough. Yeah. So it's like, you're not doing it well enough. Like you're, you're still sick because you're not doing it well enough. Whereas they might just not respond well to AIP. And so then those people say, oh my gosh, I have to get like, I cheated once last week. This week I can't cheat at all. <laughs> so it's bringing in that whole thing of sometimes like AIP may not work for someone and that's okay. That's like our bodies are so intricate and beautifully created to be able to do. And of course, Thundersen and we're all broken. But um, from my perspective, like we're all so unique that what works for me isn't going to work for you and vice versa. Yep. Um, so from that and from, I mean, I think media in general, um, we have started just focusing on this. I mean, I'll just bring up the term that we mentioned in the beginning of healing diet orthorexia. It's something that a writer and practitioner named Jessica Flanagan, she coined the term. Um, so it's anyone who has been on a healing diet who has then developed habit disordered ha eating habits that can be considered orthorexia. So that's focusing and stressing on very minute things. Um, and so weird, like I never have a good way to describe it, but it's basically like over focusing on hype, like, uh, let's see, being hyper aware on certain things. Like for me, when I was struggling with it in Nashville, it was oils. So like a can of canola oil, a can of vegetable oil. Oh my gosh, I can't mm. do this, this, this. So it's the more that we focus on all these labels and the perfectionism that's within that arena, like I'm a born perfectionist like that doesn't help <laughs> and a control freak so when I was feeling out of control this was one way that I could bring control and so that's just something that's bringing up in culture um, whether you're vegan paleo whatever you decide to call yourself which even that is a problem of the fact that we have those labels I think the more that um, the more disordered our mindset is going to become around food like food is a beautiful delicious thing um, but excuse me the more that we hyper focus on things, the worse we're going to be. Yeah. Was that the article that you sent me? Yes. So I'm going to make sure to link that in the show notes for this. Cause I think yeah. it will be really helpful for people to read. Um, 
Okay, so I want to stay there. So yeah. um, eating disorders. So I watch <laughs> I watch this happen in my gym, my CrossFit gym all the yeah. time. So CrossFit has been notorious for uh, uh, members of CrossFit gyms have been notorious for chasing uh, diets. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's like, you know, a couple of loud voices drag the rest of the chain along. Uh, so when I started uh, just about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago-ish, uh, the zone diet was the thing, uh, which by and large, it's probably the best one in terms of just a general way of thinking about yeah. food portioning. It's not necessarily like what is good or bad, it's just portioning. Yes, yep. And uh, so it went from that, and then it started uh, into, uh, I, I'm trying to think. I think paleo came next. Um, keto dropped in pretty soon thereafter. Mm -hmm. um, now it's kind of gone back to, for the most part, uh, the zone diet, but it's really built around like counting macros. Um, but what I've noticed is, is that it becomes a terrible thing for many people. It's an obsession, yeah. right? Like when you talked about cheating, it is unbelievable to me to watch, and I've been there before, so this is not like just blaming other people, but to watch people punish themselves as the result of eating a freaking cheeseburger. Yes. Right? And it's that link between food and exercise. Yep. It's like those need to be delinked. De yep, yep. So I've seen that happen. I've watched people that are so uber focused on staying compliant mm -hmm. that it becomes unhealthy physically. Yeah. And it also becomes unhealthy mentally. So watching that happen. Um, and then uh, you said something a few minutes ago that I thought was really interesting. It was, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you watch people start taking significant macronutrients out of their body, which then by take so many micronutrients out of your body that your that body can affect can't... hormones. Oh and my then it goes, gosh. Yeah. So totally. how often do you see, and, and maybe that's back to um, uh, what you were just talking about. Like how often do you see that happening in your community of people where people think there's something wrong with them or, or, or there is something wrong with them. And so they go fully, compliant in an area and then make themselves more unhealthy. Yeah. It's, I think it's one of the most undiagnosed concerns in the like autoimmune community. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling with it. Like I'm in this, I'm in a Facebook group, um, actually created by that woman, Jessica Flanagan, who wrote that article. And so many people are realizing, Oh, I have that. And this isn't just someone like wanting another diagnosis. This is someone who has, or these are people who have, tried and tried and tried and tried not seeing any difference and then realizing wow like my entire life is consumed by this thought and i'm trying to bring control to it i'm obsessing over it um and so i think it's something that a lot of people like the first person i told about this or like one of the first people um she was like oh well that's just how we have to eat and i was like well yeah but like the obsession doesn't have to be there <laughs> so i think a lot of people aren't quite on board with how serious it is and like, I, I don't consider it like active is what I tell, like what I consider it now is like, I'm not actively in those behavior patterns. Um, but I still see it so many times and again, like in CrossFit and everything, like when you have a community of people around a certain label, that's when it can start to happen a lot. And, um, I think just the more that we bring awareness to it, the better off 
will be of taking those steps to get out of it of whether it's eating a cheeseburger and then like delinking exercise and yep. um, food or whatever that might be yep um so have you seen or heard stories of people that are actually making themselves more sick yeah by chasing compliance to those things yeah it's aip doesn't work for as can you explain by the way what the difference is between autoimmune paleo and what i I guess regular paleo Paleo, i don't know sorry yeah um so paleo is no grains beans dairy inflammatory oils like canola or vegetable oil okay aip takes it a step further by removing all inflammatory foods which involves no eggs no seeds no um nuts and no caffeine, no chocolate. Whoa. Basically, it's a very sad existence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but if, but, but if, you, if you're if you on exactly. that right now, you're if good. Helps, Jesus it, loves you anyway. <laughs> if it helps, like, yes, that's incredible. And some yeah. people, you do it. It was originally designed to be done for 30 to 60 days as a reset to mm. figure out what makes you sick. And then you slowly add in foods individually. But some people, they end up being on it for six months. They still aren't feeling better. Their practitioners are telling them, no, just do it better. Just do it more. Like, you're fine. Let's keep doing it. Your body has to heal more. So then they've been doing it for a year. Oof. And then they lose tolerance to all the foods that they would be eating. So then they're down to, I mean, like six foods. And they have to regain oral tolerance, which is why you have to, like, slowly introduce foods back in. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's... It's sad because there are so many good people in the AIP community who have done so much research and um, work in it, but then it's just people have taken it too far as well. Yeah. And I think just the further it goes, um, and it's just, yeah, I mean, like you see the stories and as people are down to six foods and they can't get back. Whoa. It really scares me because um, people in some sense are feeling like they're being backed into a corner of Mm self-diagnosis and i understand right like you're a perfect example of you you weren't getting what you needed out of the system you're working towards um health on your own and you're finding what works for you you're finding what doesn't work for you but i'm not necessarily but you could mix up a bad cocktail right i mean yeah you, you could chase something that ends up killing you right and so um i i really hope that we will start to see like i love so back to chris kresser i love the fact it's uh he's doing this new health coaching program called adapt or adept or something like that i've seen him promoting it online and so he's trying to educate and equip other people throughout i think the world uh to become health coaches with the same mindset that he has Mm -hmm. like we need to see just this whole mindset of a holistic approach to health, nutrition, how we care for our bodies. We need to see this expand. And I'm afraid that if it doesn't expand quickly enough, as people in masses are starting to see the system fail them, they're going to start doing some damage that, yeah. I mean, geez, six foods, like not just miserable when you try and go out to eat, but like that's got to be really unhealthy. Exactly. Yeah. And it's actually kind of this ties in, but trailing back a little bit when we were talking about um, of kind of choosing between conventional versus functional. Um, I recently, as it was probably last year, I was coming out of this massive flare up and I was having this weird neuropathy type thing. I didn't think it was actually neuropathy because I didn't associate it with pain. Hmm. And so I brought it up with my endocrinologist and I said, I feel like I'm crawling out of my skin. It's isolated around my extremities. It's also like bra strap or something like shirt or like the waist of my jeans or something like that. And she's like, oh, it's probably like a B vitamin issue, but like I wouldn't worry about it too much. 
And <laughs> I, I told my boyfriend at the time, and he had never had any kind of like big major health issue. And he's like, oh, well, it sounds like she's not too worried about it. I was like, well, you're a lot more trusting of doctors than I am. Oh, my god! <laughs> and so that is why I researched it, because now I have the keywords. So then I talked to my own practitioner and said, OK, like, what does this look like or what is this? I even I put a post in that Facebook group and this woman says that's allodynia. It's a type of neuropathy, blah, 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 blah. And the more I researched, like, OK, so I have the keywords. So I now I do consider it pain, even though I like it's a weird thing to call it. But OK, so it's nerve pain. And then so when I talk to my practitioner, he's like, oh, yeah, a lot of thyroid patients have allodynia. I had never heard that. I've been diagnosed for five years. My dad had been diagnosed and he's never really heard of it. And so I think it's because I didn't associate the word with nerve pain. And that's why I do all this research is because I need to be educated in my own health. And so the more that we need to individualize things like my endocrinologist, she's just refilling my prescription, talking about my thyroid levels and then going. But if she really took time to listen and granted, again, it's the system. But if she took time to listen and say, OK, this person isn't responding well on this. She's already on B1, like blah, blah, blah. Let's think yep. about this. Then the better that we can understand how each individual person operates and what could work for them. One treatment might one treatment might not. There are like six different types of thyroid medications that can work for individual people. Yep. So it's the greater the more that we can individualize it and not focus on just these labels of, oh, you need to AIP harder or you need to have this specific type of diet, then the more we'll be able to succeed. Totally. You know, and I think where, <clears throat> where this relates to uh, the common folk, uh, and by that Not I mean- Not so medically complex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we see, so you know, the number one chronic condition today is diabetes, mm -hmm. right? Type two diabetes, which by the way, right? You said this earlier, that is a treatable chronic disease, treatable. And yet the number one suggested resolution is a lifetime of medication. Yes. Like that's absurd to me. And then this, this is not win friends when I say this mm -hmm. and people that know me uh, know that I love them. Um, but our acceptance of obesity in society today is also further perpetuating the problem. Like I, I try and speak to people and say like, look at like God created you as an individual, unique and valuable human being, regardless of what you look like. Like I don't want you to associate the fact that you're unhealthy with me telling you that you are not worth anything. Right. And that doesn't mean we all have to be this perfect shape and whatever, mm -hmm. but when we're seeing obesity at the level that it is, and at the same time, the message in society is be good in your skin. There's a difference between like, be happy with who you are and take care of yourself. Exactly. And so, that that that's happening and so like i also, just there's a death of nuance in the country and i completely agree with you and i feel like so many people aren't up for this conversation yeah because they're just like oh no you're a horrible person yeah so, what an a-hole you just yeah. said that like anybody that is you know like not five percent body fat is a horrible person and 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 that's not the case right like exactly it, like we see a disease that is being diagnosed at uh, in greater numbers than cancer and yet, if, if one of your loved ones came home and said, like, I just went to the doctor and the doctor told me I had cancer, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, like, I will do anything and everything to ensure that you get better, mm -hmm. right? And yet, when you come home and you're like, oh, the doctor said that uh, my insulin levels are, are a little off and uh, I need to lose a couple of pounds, you're like, oh, you can do it, you know, <laughs> go, go take a couple extra steps. Yeah. 
It's like that. That's wild to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I think that that's a common issue that we're seeing today, and and it's not just there, right? Like high blood pressure, take medication. Um, there's just so many things that can, if we were to take just a few extra minutes and start doing some of our own research, we could see such greater change happen individually, but then collectively. And uh, another thing that I say that nobody is a fan of, or most people are not a fan of, is uh, back to the whole issue of a, a broken healthcare system. Like, yes, the insurance companies by and large are corrupt. And the healthcare providers as a whole are out to make money for themselves. The pharmaceutical companies could give two craps less whether or not they heal anybody, right? So that's, and and the government with their hands in it all is the biggest disaster of the bunch. And yet the thing that nobody talks about is we as individual people are responsible for our own health. And we have abdicated that responsibility to everybody else. And it drives me absolutely insane. Like you have a problem with the fact that you're spending an absurd amount of money on your health insurance, do something about it. You're sick, do something about it. And that's why people have to reach the point where they're sick enough to take that action for themselves. Um, Like you had said, the the blood pressure medication, Uh, my mom went in, it was like a stressful week. She was in for a physical her blood pressure was a little high. The doctor wanted to put her on medication without ever like having her come back for a retest. And she said no. And she like got the diet under control a little bit more than it was. Yep. And like, she's fine. She's not on it. She's good. And it's like, no one is, of course, they're just like pressured into taking that, prescribing the medication and everything. But it's just like, you need to take that personal responsibility of I'm going to feel sick. Like you have to reach a point where you're going to feel sick enough and tired enough. And then you're going to make that change. Yep. Um, there's actually, this is a bunny trail, but there's a website, I think it's called openpayments.gov. You can see if your doctor has taken um, payments from pharmaceutical companies and what kind of payments. Oh, interesting. And so it's interesting to see of like, I went to an orthopedic doctor for my back one time. He had like $60,000 in one year of conference stipends and like meals and then quote unquote research, things like that. And then you go to like my primary care had like $2,000 worth of something. So it's just like, you can see how the whole system controls itself and like rewards itself essentially. And then that makes you just take a step back. It's like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I have to do. Like my health insurance um, plan is what some would call a catastrophic plan just because I'm going to spend the money that I'm saving on out of pocket things that make a difference. And then if I, break my leg or something then I'm taken care of yep. for the most part yep so it's just it's very interesting of like that personal responsibility element of it that you were talking about yeah so how does this affect the rest of life for you ah, it's very interesting yes um now it's really not too bad um I had to get a lot of sleep I like sleep anyways so it's something <laughs> that I prioritize thing. um but it is interesting like if I get I mean when I was first diagnosed I should have been sleeping nine hours a night and I was opening at Starbucks at 3 30 in the morning most days of the week and I just like I had to like I needed a job I had no one else to support me I just I had to do this um and so now that I'm at the point where I have a semi-normal like I can set my own office hours essentially within a range and um I my thyroid is regulated enough and I'm on the right supplement mix that I feel mostly human most of the time. Mm. Like I feel pretty good. Um, But it's also interesting of having that invisible illness is when I feel good, it's great. It's not like I'm missing an arm or something and people are going to stare. So I go about with life. 
Um, but if I'm feeling really crappy one day, then no one necessarily would believe me. Yeah. So it's a very interesting dichotomy of just knowing and being able to protect my needs. Um, Cause I'm a two on the Enneagram, which is a helper. So like, I just want to like help, 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 help and not actually take care of myself. Um, so I think a lot of it's been that I've also been doing a lot of processing on um, started therapy this year. It's great. Um, so just doing a lot of processing about like everything that's happened and like the anger towards the medical system from the last five years and things like that. So I think there's a lot of mental, emotional work going on. And then there's also like, I have been able to run long distance races. Like I've been able to have fun. I've been able to live a life. I've been able to work hard. So like, I remember where I was four year, four or five years ago. And I was like, I'm, I'm great. And then other days I'm still like, okay, no, like I'm still sick. I still have all these things. I still take however many pills a day. Um, so it's like, it's a day by day thing overall. Like my, my constant is pretty good. Um, but it's definitely like, it's going to affect me the rest of my life. Like yeah. unless there's a miracle, but yeah. which could happen. But at the same time, it's, it's given me so much more because I've had to go through all this struggle. Like I've had to, like, I know so much more about myself. I know so much more about my health. My faith is stronger. Like all of this, that a lot of people don't have that opportunity to learn so early in life. Yep. Like I was 21, well, 13 going throughout my teenage years and then 21 when I was finally diagnosed. And like, that's incredible that yeah. I was able to do it that soon. Yep. Um, and just be able to like incorporate that into life. And now it's just kind of, it's normal. Yeah. So earlier you said you feel semi-normal. Yes. So like, do you ever, ha have you ever gone through periods of time or do you ever go through periods of time where you feel like, because I can't eat like everybody. I mean, it's a pretty social thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like, how does that affect, like even how you view yourself sometimes? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a lot of what, a lot of the mental work that I've had to do hmm. is becoming okay with where I'm at and not apologizing for it. Like I used to go out to eat. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I have to get like the burger without the bun. It's <laughs> like, we're in Southern California now. Like everyone gets it without the bun. Yeah. Let's, there's a name for it. It's protein style. Like I didn't know that until I moved out here. So like, <laughs> it's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely that element of it. And other times it's, um, we work with this, incredible vegan meal prep delivery service. Um, and so we each get a week of it um, as part of the part of the retainer. And um, it's incredible. I can only drink the juices and the almond milk, which is amazing. Um, but like, I just have to give that food to the coworkers. And part of me is like this entire week is stuff that I can't eat because it has grains and beans and it's meat free. Um, and so that, like, even this week, someone was like, oh, thank you so much for bringing it in. I was like, yeah, I can't eat any of it. It's fine. And in my head, I was kind of like, oh, this is sad. But at the same time, it's like, I know what would happen if I eat that and it's okay. Um, and like last year I went through a really severe flare up that took me like almost a year to come out of Whoa. my TSH. It should be around between like one and two. It was 11, which is TSH is the like primary, um, thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, and so like that, like I gained weight, my hair was falling out, my uh. mood was awful. Like it affected my life in multiple ways. And so that took so long to come out of that. Like, now I'm finally, I'm out of it. I'm feeling good. Um, and so it's just, it's one of those things that like you just go in phases and like some weeks I'll be great. Other weeks, certain things will affect me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like ebbs and flows and you just kind of get used to it after a while. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, do you feel like this is something for you to deal with for yourself or do you feel somewhat compelled to to want to do something different at large. 
Yeah, I definitely think... I mean, even just like sharing my story, like I think yeah. that's really important. Um, I've been trying to figure out a way to write it all up. But when you go back to when you're 13, that's 13 years of data that like I feel like <laughs> I need to organize better, even though I am a writer. Um, and so I think like even just sharing my story and being more verbal in daily life is something mm. that like because I look so healthy all the time, people tend to not that they have to remember that I'm sick all the time, but they tend to like forget just you how sick I am. You should wear a right? sign. You should wear a sign. I should just like put a sign on my forehead, get a tattooed chronic illness, um, <laughs> fully label myself. <laughs> um, but yeah. If you fight hard enough, you can become a protected class. <laughs> uh, can't fire me. I have chronic illness. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's definitely something that I'm passionate about. I don't think I would ever want to become a practitioner. Um, but it's definitely something that I want to be a part of my life just because I'm so passionate about it. I've seen what it can do for myself. Um, I'm very passionate about helping practitioners to be able to grow their practice and everything. And so just the more that I'm able to kind of support others, again, that was that Enneagram 2 coming out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no wonder why Mikhail hired you. Right? You, like you want to do it all. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's even been how can I... Um, I mean, we've worked with certain companies where it's kind of within the health space yeah. and it's been very interesting because we've been able to like use some of my passion for that, um, to be able to do it. And yeah, I mean, just overall, I think it's definitely, it's something that I'm passionate about. It might not ever be like my career or anything, but yeah. it's definitely something that I want to keep doing and educating. And, um, another thing that I've been working about talking about in therapy a lot is validating <laughs> my stories. Like, I feel like it's not valid enough. Hmm. So it's like, you do have this story for a reason and you yeah. have this experience and all of the emotions surrounding it are valid. Yeah. Um, and so just being willing to talk about it and share about it and just make it more visible. Um, cause it's kind of, it's millions of people have these chronic illnesses and it's fairly un, fairly unknown until you kind of like get within that that first layer of yeah. it. And so just the more that I can do in my very small way to kind of like bring awareness to it is yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> I really like that you said that because I think that, you know, a lot of times it comes to mind when we have any sort of, um, when we're different in any way mm -hmm. than the norm, when we have a deficiency, um, when a weakness is exposed, um, we immediately cast this cloud over ourselves. Um, sometimes shame comes into play. And, uh, and I think it's so important, first of all, that like we fight really, really hard, right? It's like you said, it's understandable that we go through all those emotions. And probably for you, that's something for the rest of your life that you're going to go mm -hmm. through, right? Like you're going to continue to fight. Like there's just going to be that day. It's like, why me, God, right? Um, <clears throat> and yet I think that as you step through that, I think it becomes so beneficial to other people. Yeah. Um, I think back to like, um, um, when, uh, 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 Joseph's life uh, in the old Testament is put through all this misery. Right. And at the very end, um, you know, uh, Genesis says, you know, uh, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And, and I attribute that so much to things like this because, um, it's really like, this is not the life that you want to live, right? It doesn't yeah. like make you like not be able to live a great life, but you would choose to not have this, you know, yeah. these struggles. And, and yet by telling your story, by allowing people to hear this experience, like it's going to give them permission to want to continue to step through their own life. 
Exactly. And right? I think well, you said the word shame, which is, I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Oh. Brene Brown, she's incredible. I cried when I watched her last Netflix special. I was there when she filmed it. Wait, so, what? Yes. I was like, uh, front, I was like, house left. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. She's so bomb. I she's cried amazing. a couple of times during that. <laughs> yes. And so a lot of it was like, the more I share about the social media, the more like I'm on this podcast and everything. It's being able to remove that shame and just talk about it. Cause there's a lot of like, the more I talk about it, will people perceive me as weak or will people not want to hire me because of certain things? It's like, well, it's, it's my story. Like I have it for a reason. And like, I can see a lot of how the Lord has worked through it, which yep. is another reason why I want to share about it. Um, and it's definitely very interesting. Um, I mean, <laughs> wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not, but like my last relationship ended in part because of this. What? Yeah. I don't want to go into too much detail, but it was a part of it. And so it's just like that shame is he's just not like listen, sitting He's there. not going to ever listen to this, but that's just like weak. <laughs> that's weak. There's, it was many things, but yeah, it was part of yeah, it. Yeah. And so it's for me, it's saying like not having that shame of, oh, I'm too much. It's just like, you know what? This is my life. This is what I have. Yeah. And I'm just going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep sharing about it. It has value. It has worth. Yep. And just keep keep sharing. And, and, and I think like you don't need my affirmation, but I... I Maybe then it's just talking to you, but for everybody else. But I think this demonstrates a level of character that most people don't have, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not saying this because I'm looking at you saying it. Like, <clears throat> we, there's so many easy way outs, right? Easy ways out. Um, and and even as it relates to sickness, it's, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it and I'm just going to live in misery. That's an easy way out. Yeah, like, it sounds exactly. bad to say that because it's miserable, but it's the truth. Um, I'm just going to just load myself up with a bunch of medication and my quality of life is not going to be what it could be. That's an easy way out. And so to demonstrate the character that it takes to fight hard in this way, like, you're challenging a lot of very, very common thinking and belief. Mm -hmm. And so that that shows something. And then the fact that you're like, you know what? I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to go out and run and I'm going to go out and like, I'm going to go out to eat and I'm not going to, you know, I, I can't avoid everything or, you know, I have to avoid everything. Like that to me demonstrates a lot more character and a lot higher value in a human being than the people that just like suck out and do nothing. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I mean, even like providing value at Blue Light, like the fact that like I worked through that entire flare up. Like if I can show up feeling like I haven't like brain fog, if you've never experienced brain fog, it's basically only when consider I used to do drugs. myself <laughs> only then, but not, <laughs> not often. Um, I mean, it's like you haven't slept in like four days and it uh. just like won't let up. And so like, if I can show up and work and provide some not amazing, but pretty good results with that, like imagine what I can do when I'm fully functioning. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I can show up regardless. And then there's also a side of it of trying to take care of myself and take days off when I need to Yes, use that PTO and that sick time. But, um, I think, I mean, especially like anyone with a chronic illness, like they know how to fight. Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a superpower. That's what I tell myself at least. Yeah. <laughs> that sign is like under your shirt and it's like a big ass <laughs> on you. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay, so we talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, Fix the whole healthcare industry, right? Just totally. We should do that. That'd be pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, how can people connect with you? Yes, I am on Twitter and Instagram at HJ Moyer. That's M O Y E R. Um, website, hannahjmoyer.com. It's not very updated, so I would recommend Instagram or Twitter. Podcast? Candidly Caffeinated with Hannah Moyer. It's on iTunes, uh, not Spotify. I need to get it on Spotify. 
Um, that's a long story. And then SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher. I haven't pitched my show in a while, so I'm really rough on it. <laughs> yeah, go listen to it. It's pretty amazing. Why, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. This was great. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, you know, as people are listening, we're an hour and seven minutes in, by the way, I kept you way longer than your curfew. Um, but I think what's really helpful for, for me when I have these types of conversations, first of all, I'm always looking to challenge kind of like the common way of thinking about anything. But when I say the word thinking, it's like, it it is our mindset, right? And, and Mm -hmm. we are called like, uh, to, to, to continue to challenge the status quo, to continue to be the very, I don't like to use this very often, but like the very best version of ourselves. And that requires us to think differently that, you know, continue to pursue excellence in all areas. And so I love this conversation because there is so much to do here. And I think that even just us with the two people that are going to (laughs) listen, you know, you can change a life. And so I think it's awesome. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was great. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, as always, you can connect with Hannah uh, as she shared in the podcast. We'll make sure to put all that contact information, including the link to that article that she talked about or I talked about in the show notes. Uh, Please feel free to provide any feedback that you have, any questions, comments, concerns. There was a lot of things that we talked about that could be challenging to hear. It may have ticked you off and that's totally okay. I'm down to hear it all. But as always, appreciate the fact that you've listened. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.